I can't come here and die I can't come here and lose Got all this shit on my mind Like what the fuck I'm a day Work ain't paid me in time My baby just ripped me my mood Very two just cut off my line Hi guys And welcome to the Echo Chamber I'm Jade And I'm Ez And today we're joined by a very special guest Would you like to introduce yourself special guest? I'm Yusuf. Yeah, a bit about me. I'm, my area of interest at profession is like sociology, I suppose. And like my PhD thesis and some of my subsequent publications have related to like road life and like youth or young, I'll say young lives in the UK. How come you didn't say Dr. Yusuf? Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's my given name, isn't it now? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I did mention I have got a PhD, so I dropped it still. I just did it. It's just subtle, isn't it? You're more of a subtle one. Drop it in there. I mean, sandwich it. Sandwich it. Quiet. <laughs> None of my documents. Are, I thought, like, when you're, you start, you're like, yeah, I'm going to change it. I'm going to be Dr. Rare, Rare, Rare. But, like, when you get it, you're just like, like, you have to... My mum calls herself Dr. Ngovi. She's never used her doctorate for anything. <laughs> but the title she must have. So, yeah, you have to respect it. That's who she is. She's earned it. Yusuf is a big G, like a very big G, a very like, a very good friend of mine, someone that I have a lot of time for. Also someone that like, genuinely like one of the smartest people that I know, like in terms of like how Yusuf engages with things, <laughs> like how he thinks about things, how he like critically engages with concepts or ideas particularly around like sociology and like people and I've felt really like challenged positively by our friendship and we've had some really good conversations and yeah like I'm really happy to have you on we've had you on before you know I'm gonna expose us here and I'm ashamed to say we've had you on before we recorded a dope episode at a studio that we used to use and then yeah the episode got lost long story short but like everything happens for a reason and at the right time I think that it's good to have you on now and actually since then there's been like developments in your career as well that will be interesting to talk about but yeah without babbling on the opening question today why did you get into academia we talk about this though we talked about this before I thought yeah I was just gonna say sorry interrupt you or interrupt you or you're talking but I feel like the last episode, man, should have coded it a bit anyway. So I think this time I'm going to try and keep it a bit more true. Two reasons I got into academia, yeah. And I, like, I've been thinking about this a lot during the lockdown and other things and other things have been going on in my life, innit? That sort of make you remember. I think sometimes things bring you back to where you were maybe a few years before and, like, over time maybe you were a bit disconnected to that. Number one, I never planned to get into academia, like that was never ever a plan I was just like a graduate and I was like raw unemployed like and seemingly unemployable <laughs> yeah and um the graduate market job market's tough man what happened yeah so, so I, I had a friend at the time and he sort of said you can get these PhD studentships I'm not sure I even referenced it very well and like I did this thing yeah where um the box was too small for what I wanted to write so I just made my font smaller like you can't do that shit no <laughs> You can't do them things no more. Yeah, so it, it was what I'm saying is that it wasn't planned and it wasn't it was a bit accidental. But then when I kind of got into that situation, I kind of leveled with it and I sort of won. I was actually awarded the studentship by my department, but 
something happened where there was one extra one around the university and some of the applications got sent from each department to act with someone important like the VC for research or something like this and he picked my one in it maybe out of charity I don't know but <laughs> but um, and that's kind of how it happened but I was, what I'm trying to say is it wasn't planned but then kind of as I got into it I wrote one application to one university ever in my life and I'm not saying that I agree with it, I'm just saying that in a way that I kind of fell into it a little bit but then when I got into it and I really thought about what I was doing and like the project I was doing and stuff like the two things really that were really important to me were one trying to change my situation because I was tired of being a sofa surfing broke graduate like I'd had conversations with people like and they'd be asking me why did you even go uni like what's the point I mean, why should you study? Why should you do them things? Because they don't really get you nowhere. And there's element of truth in that, I think, in some cases. Pardon me, in some cases. If you look at it from some perspectives, anyway. Um, so the first reason was to try and change my situation, I suppose. And, like, I think I probably wasn't necessarily completely clued into what academics earn and what the realities of that kind of life are at that time, maybe. And then the other thing was that, actually, I had a genuine commitment to changing things in my community at some level. Do you know what I mean? Because like, I think this is one of the conversations that this is why I think me and Ez always been close because we kind of, I think Ez is an empath, in it? And like, I don't know if exactly I'm an empath because I think I'm too much of a dickhead sometimes. But, but like, I think at some level we feel quite deeply that people are really suffering and hurting quite badly in our communities and people often are quite close to us. And we do at some level have some kind of deep, deep commitment for wanting that not to be like that. And I think that was the second thing in it was that I hoped that through doing that kind of work, it could lead to some kind of social social change. Do you know what I mean? Even it just incremental small things. That, that was kind of, and I think that both of those things were very, looking back now, were very, very ambitious. Even though it didn't feel like that at the time, those felt like I was going into like these big, powerful, what seemed like these big, powerful institutions that seemed to be more than capable of affecting the lives of some little, you know, street kids or whatever but actually I think maybe those institutions don't have that capacity or that purpose anyway in hindsight perhaps so that's is that a good answer to your first question that's a really good answer can I just say you can be a dickhead and an empath but I'm definitely a dickhead and an empath <laughs> I'm definitely both <laughs> And you're not a dickhead, Yusuf. You're not. You. I think that um, it's so interesting hearing you like describe just how you kind of fell into it, because it's not. I don't think it's something that people that are from where we're from particularly just fall into. And actually, I can think of a lot of other avenues or a lot of other things that we kind of just like where we're from. We just fall into that maybe aren't as legal. <laughs> or like revered by society. So I find that mad interesting. I probably initially fell into it, copying my counterparts when everyone else was applying for uni. Everyone else was applying for uni, everyone else knew what to do. The teachers, the narrative among the teachers was just like, right, this is what everyone has to do. So I just kind of followed them or followed that. Um, and then the masters, I just kind of got this idea in my head during my undergrad that I needed to do a masters. So I did that after I finished my first degree. And then now working in academia, again, it's, it just feels like a bad chance kind of thing. Worked a bit in schools, didn't necessarily enjoy it, quite a dissolution by the education system at that level, fell into this role. And it just feels like there are opportunities here. 
versus in other industries that I don't think I necessarily morally agree with and whatever. Feels very much by chance, to be honest. I can't imagine myself in that banking or can't imagine that for myself. Um, Didn't like the school system. So I'm just trying to ting, really. I don't consider myself to be in academia. I have been studying a three-year course for five years. My final deadline for all of my stuff was on Monday. It is now Wednesday. I didn't submit my stuff, meaning I may choose to go into year six of this three-year course I might choose to not do that. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, in my defence, my laptop broke. My, like, I had everything patterned. I was literally, like, at the end of the road. Literally at the end of the road. Um, everything was patterned. I'd, like, done a lot of, that like, kind of working to get to a place where, like, it was excruciatingly painful and difficult. And, like, I had given myself, I had allocated time to, to finish the last leg and then my laptop broke and I just uh, a part of me like it's, it's funny it's not funny because it was like painful but where I am now so I'm on holiday at the moment and I've had a lot of time to think and reflect and where I am at now I'm very much like fam like something in my spirit has repelled this here Babylon from you know like something in my spirit even when I've forced and fought myself like I've like if by far the hardest thing I've ever done, by far. It's been the most challenging for me. And not because I'm not intelligent and not because I don't even get good grades, but just engaging with the system on like a energy level from a place of someone that like had been out of education for so long, for somebody that engages with the academy from a very critical standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. I found it excruciatingly painful. For those reasons, I don't consider myself to be in academia at all. But technically I am. So to answer the question kind of more straightforward, I didn't go to college. No, that's a lie. So I started college. The year before I started college, I also was kicked out of my house. I had just turned 16, moved out, was living independently in hostels, had bare stuff going on, like bare stuff going on. In terms of like, I'm going all the way back to secondary school. I um, had missed a year of school because I was kicked out of secondary school, the whole of year nine, basically. Started school the last week of year nine. And when I did re-engage with school, I didn't engage. Like, I just didn't engage. So year 10 and year 11, I didn't engage. My attendance was like 42%. Like, I had an agreement with the school and the local authority where I could do part-time school and just do my exams. Like, I just completely didn't engage to the point where I wasn't naughty. So in my, like, first secondary school, I was really naughty got kicked out second secondary school I wasn't even naughty I just didn't engage and that is where when I look back at it that's where kind of like my distaste for formal education came from and then like started college but obviously all this horrible stuff was happening in my life at the time and left very quickly so I was there for about three months did shit in my January exams I was like oh this is hard one two I don't have to be here (laughs) free I'm not even getting my EMA because I'm always late so why am I doing this so bust out very quickly started working full-time doing lots of bits and bobs of whatever and like I was like I'm never going to uni like like, so in my head I was like I'm never going to uni there's no reason for me to go to uni I was like 17 18 earning what felt like lots of money and actually was actually decent money like it was decent money at the time in comparison to my peers I was 
bathing, like I'd peed in it. Like I was out here, legit money, was doing like different things, like traveling, bare things. I was like, I'm never going to uni. What is this uni thing? I saw all my friends in uni suffering and struggling and asking me to send them money. I was like, this is a, what is this? Never doing that. And then when I was like 21, I think, I can't remember. Anyway, I went to Nigeria. In Nigeria, everybody has like, everybody's educated up to like, probably like master's level. Everyone was like, oh, what did you read? What did you, oh, what did you study? And I was like, I think it's uni. And it was like, like, it was so absurd to them. that like, it was so bizarre. It was like, you're in a country where you have access to kind of like the best education in the world, how they, how they view it. And you haven't gone to uni. Like people in this country are really breaking their back to get a rich British education and you're you haven't gone to uni like what is that so and there was a lot of shame also so also I had to so in as much as the story at the time that I was telling myself was I'm never going to uni my life is so lit I don't need to go to uni I can make a career without it I'm a creative anyway like I was telling myself all these different stories whereas when I got to Nigeria and when I was challenged and actually people were asking me why I hadn't studied I had to engage with the fact that actually trauma interrupted my education actually very high achieving academically always did well really loved learning so continued learning outside of education continued reading continued kind of like research and doing stuff that were basically academic and actually had a passion for it but I just didn't feel like it was a space where I belonged I went to Nigeria got challenged said to myself in my head at the time that, oh, I want to move back to Nigeria. And that in my head, it was like, I want to move back to Nigeria. I want to do this kind of international development work and save Nigeria. (laughs) Um, Had done some like volunteering in Kenya and other parts of the world. And was like, oh yeah, like spent my three months in Kenya and my, me being Nigerian, I'm going to go, I'm going to study something to do with international development go home and fix the continent, which was kind of like, how I was like, okay, and in order to do this, to work in Nigeria, they're not even going to look at me without a degree. So I'm going to go and get a degree. And that is how I got into academia. That's a really long story. But yeah, that's how I got into academia. And like, I was wrong. I was very wrong. I don't think I regret it, because I think I have grown a lot and learned a lot about myself. And I think that I'm grateful for the experience and I've met lots of like amazing people and I value it in the experience in many ways, but I was wrong still. And I, I, didn't, go, I didn't go home and fix Africa. We love a long story around here. I always find it so interesting when we talk about education between myself and Ez, how our responses to what was going on around us shaped things that we did, how we responded to like education or work and things like that. And similar to you as well, or sorry, you made, you reminded me in fact, Ez, um, when I was in my third year of my undergrad, I um, had this idea that I was going to like, I don't know what I thought I was going to do in Congo, but that was like, yeah, I'm going to like study the history of Congo and like, yeah, be part of developing um, the Democratic Republic of Congo. But I didn't end up doing anything to do with Congo when I got to my master's. But yeah, we jumped on a call with Yusuf today because we were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago about struggle, the struggle of like essentially making it work, making this thing work. 
making the academia thing work um, generally Yusuf spoke about his experience as you know the the lecturer the teacher the the person that's that's at the front of the lecture hall researching the topics and the things and the people that he has um, chosen in his field and yeah just the struggle that's attached to that um, and then more personally in his personal life similar to myself and is um, I feel like we touch on this bear but like just the other little social and economic factors at play that just kind of shape the context for our lives that are so at odds with the people that we surround ourselves with whilst we're in academia or whilst we're embarking on on these different journeys. So one of the things I do like about academia is like thinking and reading and talking about ideas in it. So that's one of the things I actually do like about it. And it's not all bad, but that was one of the things even from like when I re-engaged during my master's, which was part of my PhD process, that I was, that sort of kind of made me believe that I could do something good here in it. Um, which I'm not saying that could never happen, but I'm going to try and um, throw a pinch of salt on it, innit? But I do think that there's a lot to say about, so like disciplines like critical race theory, I think some of like the, the class stuff, like stuff on, on social class, um, they talk a lot about like the importance of like narrative and stories. Yeah, what it's like living in a space where you, where you occupy the space of like difference or otherness in it. And I think like we don't really have them or those conversations that we have to put on a very, or we're supposed to. I think that there's a lot of pressure to put on like a very professional face, which I struggle with anyway. Just hear me talk in it. Like people don't, like it's, like, it's long in it. But, <laughs> but um, and actually people don't really realize what it's like occupying that space and trying to make things work in academia. And like, I think in some languages, like the level of trauma that is associated both what is kind of playing out within that space, but also outside of the space and the spaces in between and how that actually, I think is one of the major things that undermines the possibilities of like doing well in academia in it. And I think that was one of the things that I thought, and I think like each of like, of your stories that is was talking about school, like, and the way that kind of we lucked into it in some ways but the way in which it never really felt, I don't know about how you feel, but it never really felt like exactly like a natural transition. Like other people, I think they describe, well, they would kind of view it more as like, oh, I went into this thing, maybe I didn't plan it, but it was very natural. But I think like a lot of the time for us in our stories, it doesn't come as like a natural transition. Do you know what I mean? And I think, I suppose like, I'm happy to chat about it really, innit? Like you lot kind of know a bit about my story, innit? So we can chat a bit about how, that plays out for me and how, and that's kind of what I'm trying to, I suppose, offer is open up a little bit on how that can be a struggle and how that is something that we need to take a lot more seriously. And I think it's one of the things that hold a lot of people back or push a lot of people out of, out of the space. I 1 million percent agree. I find it super interesting for so many reasons because um, my story is really multi-layered in that I come from a very academic family. My oldest brother went to Cambridge, was very like involved in student politics and very like revered because of like his involvement in the student movement. Did really well at Cambridge, loved it. Got on really well there. Mum's got a PhD. 
that I come from a very like academic family. I come from a very, in some ways, a very traditional Igbo Nigerian Igbo family, which is that the expectation is you go to school, you read, you do well in it, um, you're top of your class. And that was the case for me throughout primary. And then starting secondary, it's interesting because if you look at like studies like that kind of like map this stuff, I don't know enough, so I'm not going to quote them. But um, like I know that like black children do well, tend to do well in primary, and then the dips happened in secondary school. And then yeah, my secondary school experience, I went to a predominantly my first secondary school was predominantly white towards the convent, so quite strict, and also like. I would think I was there was a lot of trauma like there was just a lot of like childhood trauma so there was a lot of things happening at home there wasn't space for in school um and there wasn't a know-how of how this presents in a young person like me in that school so it's interesting because my second secondary school was predominantly black and my experience there for many reasons was very different um and I always I've always thought that if I went to that school first and I entered on the grades that I entered, like, in year seven. If I, and I went to that school where they had kind of, there was more cultural competence, what would my life look like? It would, like would, I have, would I have ended up being the quote-unquote worst girl in the year or, like, the naughty one? Would, I, would that have been the role that I played in that thing, um, which, which was what, definitely the role that I played in my first secondary school and when I look at some of those reasons I can see the way that race played a part um but also like broadening it out and touching on what we've spoken about before we started recording about just trauma the ways in which trauma and academia the friction between those two things so when like have lived experiences and things I think particularly when you come to that tertiary education and you're now studying in more depth some of the things that are your like you're studying your life like you're, you're researching your life like you're teaching about your life like you're talking about things this is not theoretical for us do you know what I mean this is like my life way that's triggering it's triggering it's painful you're passionate so you're and you're angry because more time people that are trying to teach your life are chatting shit and they're wrong and they've got no, like, their theories don't, they don't encompass everything that we go through. I am very, like, aware of how the academy as a space just isn't, doesn't feel inclusive for me. And it doesn't feel like my mind, and I, I do think I've got a brilliant mind. I do think I'm very intelligent, not to my own, but I do. <laughs> but it just doesn't, there's no, it feels like there's no space for my mind. Like, it feels like there's no space all of the things and all of the ways in which I could engage with learning I I don't in this in the current setup of how like the education system looks today it's not it's not it doesn't feel like it's built for me and and, and rightfully so because it's not built by me it's not built by people like me so it's, it constantly feels like I'm trying to live up to other people's kind of definitions or their, their barometer for what intelligence is. You know what's mad, yeah? I would say, I, like, like I didn't even know this about you still, but our trajectory was quite similar because it was, I was, I come into my school as, I think, the second highest detainer in the year. First or second, like, I was me and another boy, his mum was a teacher at the school. And um, and he got taken out and his mum sent him to a better school after about a year. He didn't, he was in my class, but he didn't stay because um, 
obviously you had the possibility of going to a better school, innit? It was the same thing, like similar kind of thing that the way the systems of discipline, like even though you were gifted, I always sometimes, I, do you know what's magic? I was yesterday, I was with one of my boys from school because I told you like recently there was a bereavement, innit? We had a bereavement for someone that was in our year. And like, I think a lot of people from school sort of been getting more in touch, innit? Feel a bit guilty maybe for not staying in touch. And I suppose that also touches on some of the stuff we talk about when it comes to trauma. One of the things we talked about in year eight, I got excluded from the similar kind of thing. For a year, I wasn't allowed to do English. And while I was taking out that classroom space, I ended up, I spent some of the time in referral, some of the time just in the corridor, some of the time climbing out of school. But like, from being a high attaining student, my kind of learning identity completely shifted, didn't it? my relationship to learning, my relationship to school, my trust in the institution and my teachers. And also, you've got to remember, I'm growing up in, like, at that time, what, early 2000s, Brixton. I'm not saying it was one of the baddest neighbourhoods. Like, every neighbourhood would say it's oh, we're the baddest neighbourhood. But it was, it, was, it was a tough neighbourhood at that time, you know? Even now, it's a tough neighbourhood. So, like, I had a lot going on around me. And that, what they done to me, which, do you know what, should I tell you why I got screwed for for the whole year? The teacher was talking, and I told another boy to shut the fuck up. And that somehow spiralled into me never being allowed to come, come back into the classroom, innit? And it was like a, a sort of inexperienced teacher. And rather than the school mediating that properly, they just kind of closed ranks on me. But one thing I will also say about that school is it's a bit like that stuff when it comes to race. One of the things we talked about was like me and my boy the other day is that there were white middle class students in the school at that time. And, like, I could give you lists of things that they did, which included striking teachers, assaulting students outside of the school. Bam! And they never attracted the same level of disciplinary. Because what was mad, yeah, that's the thing that we talked about, is that in school I wasn't actually that bad. I think I had one fight and it was with, like, my best friend. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, it wasn't like a proper, it was just like, we just, you know, sometimes your best friend gets you mad. Like, that was probably the only fight I had there. Like, I wasn't really a bad student, innit? But the way that the disciplinary arms of the school kind of moved was that somehow I got dragged into them, even though I was one of the most or more gifted students there. And um, I think that from early, that definitely, number one, put me in a position where I was way, way more vulnerable to being exposed to trauma later on, but also changed my level of trust and faith in the kind of educational system. And still to this day, like I think about when I'm going through it in the academy, I think if they just left me alone or I'd just gone to a better school, I wouldn't necessarily be doing the kind of job I'm doing now. And that might not necessarily be for the worst, you get me? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I might have, because obviously academically I was very capable, so I could have done a variety of things, you get me? And um, in the end, I ended up kind of doing something where sometimes I feel a bit pigeonholed as that guy from ENDS or that guy that studies ENDS or... You have to perf- like people expect you to perform a certain kind of way or whatever, and um, that identity necessarily wouldn't have been my identity if those early things in my education weren't as they were. So I think the school thing is really important, and I think it, it like those early experiences they kind of translate. I know a lot of people come from more difficult situations and they find university engaging and they improve at university like you know it's an improved learning experience for some people so I'm not going to say it's an everyone thing but for me I don't really think ever without working in university or being in university ever really kind of improved it do you know what I mean it was sort of a relationship to learning that kind of extended out maybe even to now you know like a identity relationship I have with those institutions as being kind of on the fringe on the outside or a bit contingent you get me like a bit um precarious 
you know, like your identity there is precarious, like you're on the edge, like you could, it could go this way or could go that way. And it's long living your whole life precariously. Do you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Which I feel like a lot of people from man situation that want to like think about some of my friends from school and stuff now, very much so that they are kind of like precarious, like in a lot of ways, you get me? And I feel like that never leaves you, even though you've got this sick education, like I couldn't have more degrees, <laughs> like in theory. <laughs> Literally. Well, I've got, yeah, I'm not short of degrees. It's like what you're saying, like, and I think that that's one of the things, like, when we were growing up, they were saying us that um, raising aspirations, dreaming it, they were saying that the problem was that we didn't want to be educated enough. Like, we didn't, mm-hmm. we had to. Mm-hmm. Actually, like, when we do get it, it kind of, there wasn't really anything. It's like, you know, you complete a computer game and then and what, and now what? Like, it's just finished. <laughs> You've done it, but there's no, it has no consequence for your life, in it? Because it was just a computer mm-hmm. game. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It felt a bit like that sometimes. Like, you got this piece of paper and you got in some debt to get it. But what of what consequence? Like, when I first graduated, I was working in a van. Do you know what I mean? So, like, it wasn't really, like, you know, where it was. And I know the PhD, and actually, like, I have been relatively successful in relation to I've always sort of managed to get an academic job. I've moved around quite a lot. I've had a few different academic jobs. And in that way, I've been quite successful. But it also has come at, like, I would say, like, a big cost to me, like, in terms of, like, my personal life, in terms of, like, my well-being and things like that, because it's very difficult to balance. Because basically, being an academic is about a 60-hour-a-week job. Easy. Mm. And I'm not saying that it's badly paid, because, it, you know, it's above what people to be like the national average and things like that but when you're coming from scratch and you're trying to like change your situation it's not transformative in it it's not transformative money in it like I've got a lot of friends that I went uni with now and obviously now we're sort of approaching that 30s kind of thing and like they've been promoted up in the private sector to like directors and things like this and then yeah like, and they weren't more talented than you they just wanted money more than you in it and and a lot of the time also they were building from more of a kind of middle class base in it so I think a lot of them maybe their families weren't very well off but they were all right and they were investing in their children to take you know because I think social mobility is actually intergenerational I don't think that it's easy to realize social mobility that not that social mobility is necessarily desirable but in the sense of like it comes like security I'm talking about like a bit of financial security I think that it, it can take a couple of generations and what their families had invested in them and kind of given them a platform to step up some of them. So some of them that were sort of lower middle class, maybe even upper working class, particularly like black and brown. Like, um, I'll say that that was a, a feature, like that now they earn a big money, whereas man did the academic thing. And I'm not saying I earn bad money and there are possibilities. I know a lot of people that hustle hard and they make the academic thing work for them. But isn't transformative as people would I think people when they hear you in a lecture they think you must be caked but I'm still like do you know what I mean I ain't it's not like that but do you know what I mean so that in that way it doesn't I think the level of responsibility that it comes with so like that's another thing about being different right when you're different like and when you've experienced trauma and when you've experienced certain things in your life number one you don't always have the best decision making even when you're in positions of responsibility sometimes you can go a bit left because there's things going on in your life and and number two like you've got a background in it you've got a history you've got people around you you've got things like that that aren't really acceptable 
to like these institutions that you know people considered them to be like things that would bring them into disrepute and things and it's like but bruv that's just my life cuz like, what can I what can I do about my life being like that and who's around me and shit that I've been through or shit that has affected me in that way and I think this is the thing that I always think like back now and when someone sends me like a young black or brown student and wants to talk to me about doing a PhD I say to them so what do you want from your life fuck academia because they always come with the same thing and, it, and I know it comes from the heart like I know they're not gassing at all they say what I said they want to change things for their community and they know, they know that people like them aren't represented in academia and they want to be a voice and that is truly admirable and I'm not like I wouldn't put them down but then I say to them all right cool and like in my head I'm thinking there's a reason why we don't have voices for people that we need to listen to you in academia there's a reason for it, it didn't happen because there's not enough people that have the talent to do that literally number two I say put that to one side but what do you want for you in it because you can't live your life beating taking beatings for the hope that you're going to change the situation for other people because in my heart I know that probably you won't do you know what I mean so I have to mm-hmm. say what do you want from your life in it and are you prepared to be in that situation where you're kind of on this weird pedestal where they build you up or they imagine you to be this person that through your difference in many ways you can't ever be do you know what I mean and like, yeah, I've, I think you've touched on so many like deep points. So I think one of the ones that stuck out for me is this idea of like the token. So like the token working class, the token black, the token brown, the token Muslim, the token gay, the token whatever it is. And actually it brought me back to um, how we met. So um, Yusuf and I actually met at a conference. We were both speaking at this conference at the Royal Geography Society I think this is years this is so this was in my first so five years ago now this was in my first year of my degree and I came into uni all guns blazing like all guns blazing I was like like, I was just so vocal and I was so like this is shit you look a shit this is why it's shit (laughs) <laughs> like one lecturer so I had some lecturers most lecturers didn't get and they were like okay cool where's your essays like you haven't done your work but <laughs> like you can come and you can chat like where's the work in it so most of them were like that then there was one lecturer that hated me I hate him as well like one day one day I'll expose him I hate him so much but it's fine and then there was another lecturer that loved me off yeah but he was like now I know so now I understand academia a bit more he was in his first teaching year and like he was very like what would be considered quite radical actually in terms of his teaching I really 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 liked him so he was like yep I want you to speak at this conference, blah, blah, blah. Cool. I've got there now, whatever, like I've done this, but I've done a poem, I've done a little talk or whatever, whatever, cool. Yusuf has come on now and Yusuf is there. So we're in this, like, it's a very like inaccessible space um, is the truth. So I'm there and I'm nervous. I feel nervous that I'm like dressed quite smart, and like trying to like, still trying to like, I'm at a stage where I'm still trying to kind of mold and morph myself to sound how I think they want me to sound and say what I think they want me to say while still maintaining my views. So I'm still like finding this balance. And then like Yusuf has come, yeah, in some shorts, 
some Chelsea talk. I, I think he even had Zidavon. Like, talking how he talks, talking how we talk. And I, I've never told you, Fifth I thought, who's this painting, fam? <laughs> I, thought, I thought, who is this painting? I didn't know that people like this were in the academy. No, I'm not even joking. Don't laugh it, but it's serious. I was like, I didn't know. I had never seen anybody like this as an academic but it was also like what he was talking about I was just like this is it so I know that I was picked on a kind of token thing I know that the reason why I was speaking on that day the reason why like I was allowed to speak and I felt very much like I'm being allowed to speak I felt like oh they are like they it was a them and us it was like they are giving me a platform to speak. And I felt very privileged and I felt very honoured. Because of that, I tried to kind of contort my, myself, like what I said, how I said, how I delivered it, even though, yes, I'm still going to be Ev and I'm still going to... And I know that they like the fact that I'm a little bit rowdy or whatever it is, so I'm going to bring enough of that, but not too much. And I was still very much like trying to like figure it out. And then... Yusuf came and Yusuf spoke and I just thought, oh, no, this is it. This is it. Like, you're engaging with the concepts, you're using their language, you're, you know your shit. So, like, I think you were speaking a lot about that. Actually, I don't, you were quoting Fanon and you're quoting all these different people and I just thought, oh, you know your shit and you didn't feel that the token. Even if you were invited there as a token, I feel like you didn't, how you embodied the space wasn't how the rest of us panellists that were students embodied the space. And I just thought, okay, this is sick. Looking at it now, obviously you were, I feel like you were finishing your masters then, I might be wrong. So you were at a different point um, in academia than where I was, but it's interesting to look back at that experience and to think about how like being the token, the burden of that. So in as much as I can be that, and I know, obviously, I know I know quite a bit about your personal story. So in as much as I, I can look at that from the outside and be like, oh, that was sick. And I know a lot of people look at me and, like, how I speak up about stuff. And, like, I was on my student union for two years and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I know that people are like, oh, this is great. Like, you're really challenging, you're challenging it from the inside. And they see the, like, the greatness of it. But then I think what they don't see is like the personal cost that that comes at. And so I think that that's super interesting. I think that you guys both have like really striking stories and entry points into academia. I'm always in awe when I listen to the both of you lot talk about your trajectories and stuff. Yusuf, you made so many different points that it was like... Yeah, I felt like I had something to say for so many of what, so much of what you said. I think that a lot of my journey was, has been a lot of coasting. So when I think back to school, I think that a lot of the things that were happening in life made me shut down and just coast. I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to feel normal. So I just tried to do as my peers were doing, essentially. And that got me to university. And one thing that I really think about and remember about uni, or look back at, sorry, um, now that I'm out of it, is how many resources I didn't have at hand to engage with it, to actively engage with the academy first and second time round, actually, during my master's too. So as I feel like when Es talks about her trajectory, she came in like just knowing certain things, basically, and I really did not know anything. I was just like, yeah, like you've got to go to the lecture, you've got to write the essay, you've got to hand it in on time. You've just got to do all of these things. 
irrespective of what may have been going on in life, what may have been coming up to me, how I was forcing myself to fit into the academia box or the box that is, was academia for me. At every point that we had to sort of use our own minds. So I think mostly of my master's thesis and that was like my project. I had to write my thesis. Those were my ideas, like we're studying phenomena. I came up with this thesis idea and I think about people like yourself, Yusuf, and I just think like, we're like sick, we're proper sick. Like you lot, you teachers, you lecturers, supervisors, you people that are supervising us and grading our papers and stuff, you lot can't think of these things or you lot's minds don't work like this. Um, but then I look at all of the barriers. So whether that be economic barriers or just barriers that like hamper my capacity to engage in the ways that I need to, to like get the grades or to just get things done as I navigate the academy, it stops me from being able to explore this amazing mind and explore all of the phenomena that I would experience as I move through life that you that graded my paper or you that is head of department or you that is like the dean for, for whatever school, you would never see this. You would never know this. You would never consider this because this is not a life that you've ever experienced or a way that you look at life or a lens that you ever see life through. And that makes me really sad. So I know that in part in my role in academia, I, um, I know that there's a part of me that is very much like, I just want you lot to be able to, when I say you lot, my students, I want you lot to be able to write the essays the way they want you to write them. And I, and I will help you to do that. And I want you to be able to engage with the theories and certain content the way that you need to, to get through the undergrad and the postgrad, um, so that you can get to a point where you can be in academia and stand shoulder to shoulder. But, um, I'm very aware that the way that my university is just the university I work at, I mean, it's just different. It's very, very different. And there aren't a lot of institutions that employ people to, to really do the handholding with students and get them to get them through academia. That's my experience, you know, is that I'll say that there's never really a way. So like as academics, we're expected to do quite a lot of pastoral work and we, some universities give some training on it. But really, there's, when you start having cohorts of 300 students and that, like, it's hard. And the other thing is that when we're talking about the experiences that people are having in their lives, for like, one reason or another, for either through lack of desire or lack of possibility, universities can't really transform the challenges people have in their lives. And like, I th- that's one of the things I've always found frustrating is that you have a student and you see that they've got so much potential and you know because obviously that reminds you of yourself or whatever or people that you know and you can't really bring that out of them or you can't help them to realise that and that's one of the frustrating things because the institution basically what I'm saying and what I think is that universities by and large are conservative institutions conservative small c in it like they're not institutions that are like although they they have radical images or radical ideas taking place within them potentially 
they're actually they're they're quite a status quo in it in their orientation in it and they have like very kind of set ideas about what constitutes knowledge about what constitutes proper practice what constitutes this what constitutes that and ultimately those ideas are exclusionary in it ultimately in it one thing that struck me particularly when there was a lot of conversation around the black lives matter stuff and they were looking at like decolonizing everything so decolonizing like the the reading lists and stuff um, I work in the politics department, politics and international relations. In my department, of the teaching staff, there is only one person of colour, one one man who is um, South Asian. And it was him that fixed his big mouth to now ask if in decolonising the reading list, that we're still, that if we're still essentially going to be providing resources, reading resources that um, have stood the test of time and are actually... Yeah, like up to par, essentially. So if we now add all of these like Asian and Black writers and thinkers, is it, are we still giving or providing students a quality education by encouraging them to, to read these materials? And I was just thinking, are you mad? Like, are you just mad or something? Why are you saying that? You're not thinking about what you're saying right now. He's a child of the academy, so like, and this well, is my thing. That I, don't know his, I don't know his history. So we're going to assume that, but then with, with another tongue, he would then be talking about how he's from South London, how he's obviously South Asian, da 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 da, da. So I don't know, but go on, Ez. Sorry to cut you, but I think this is my thing, and this is something that I think I very quickly learned whilst engaging with academics, is that, and this is why I rate Yusuf so highly, because I learned very quickly that, like, yeah, that you can be, like, for us, that you can be with us on the weekend and that. But when it comes to it, like, there is only so far outside of the framework of academia that you're going to allow yourself to... um, And I'm speaking to, like, most academics, not all, that, like, you're going to allow yourself to, to, to venture out, basically. And I think that there is, like, that's actually, like, what the academy is. It's, it's a definition of, it's saying that this way of thinking, this way of validating knowledge, this way of engaging with and critiquing and researching and blah, 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 you can build on top of this, but you can't branch, branch outside of this, is pretty much what it says. So you're, so you're actually, you're able to build on top of, but this is the foundation of knowledge. And that's what it says. And I think that's something that I've I've really struggled with because I've maybe because of my entry point maybe because of like I've traveled so much and that seemed that different people in the world engage with the world so differently to this thing but actually that is kind of the sense for me like for my interpretation that is like the the anchor of the British education system from the beginning all the way up to the end the study of phenomena different phenomena and with what you're saying about having travelled and experienced life in a way that <laughs> the average professor or lecturer or dean in the university will never see or experience life, just like makes you approach your studies, makes you approach the things that you will seek to look at or seek to reason very, very, very different. And I guess that with that particular member of staff, the way that he speaks about his life and his experiences, I was very thrown. The Academy definitely has you by the balls. 
basically the flooring, well, not the floor, but like the whole point of like the decolonized movement is it's if we actually are going to decolonize, is like it it basically throws the idea what is it saying that this system of knowing isn't the only system of knowing like that goes out of the window because the whole point is that this is a system of knowing which is positioned in relation to power and domination in it and it's been established over a long period of time that lots and lots of disciplines if not all disciplines are some way complicit in process of validating knowledge which leads to like you know for example eugenics is like the obvious one in it you know like eugenics was part of the sciences right it's a science you know, it was like some of someone's social interpretation of Darwinism in it. But it was used to justify the enslavement, genocide and, you know, impoverishment of billions of people, right? As part of the intellectual project, you know, alongside other things. Like it wasn't the only thing. But it's it's a system of knowledge which is embedded in its its position. Because even like the word university, right? What's the word in the universe? Universal, like the idea that it's the, the place of knowing, right? That's when man says something like that. It's coming from that place that this is the only way of knowing, that this is the way of knowing, isn't it? and this is the system of knowledge that students are going to go into in the workplace or in whatever else. And if they aren't embedded in that system of knowing, are they getting a worthwhile education? But decolonize the principle. That's why I don't, when I hear like decolonizing, I'm just like, well, slapping a few black authors on the reading list ain't decolonizing, man. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not. Thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean it's like basically universities that are worried about their reputation and worried about their public image and they're trying to balance out what they're doing you know so with some kind of like it's what it was sort of saying tokenistic gestures isn't it and those are opposed within by so many people and part of the reason I think internally they're opposed even by black and brown academics number one is because we have to do most of the labor <laughs> to make it happen and number two, because it means that you have to do a whole nother set of learning and developing and things like that, which you're not usually never rewarded for or given time to do or paid properly for. In any, do you know what I mean? Anyway, so like a lot of the time, it's very much like they'll spend 500 or 1,000 pounds on doing like a little event where people come and talk about it. But then that's the extent of it. They might have like a meeting that you have, like they might have a steering group where people talk about it and... There's a few things that happen where they, you know, pay a few students to like, I don't know, do campus tours or throw events in Black History Month or whatever it is. But it's not systemic, you know? it's not systemically addressing the issues or the ways in which like our systems of knowing are complicit in like the power relations of domination, essentially. You know? And I think that like, I mean, that's like intellectually one of the kind of founding points of frustration, but it's like, one of my aspects, my frustrations at universities is that they are, that's what I think they are, they are embedded in that system of domination, right? That maybe there's some good things that can happen within that. I'm not saying that that's not, and I'm not saying that I have nothing good has ever come for me or anyone I know from universities. I'm not saying that. But I think one of the stresses is that their inability to see and do and change and transform and be there for people is because they have like, they're embedded in these two that they've got to be seen as universal, independent, uh, objective, neutral, all these things that when you it comes out to it, you can't possibly be. Well, like in my opinion, <laughs> this is like a bit of a difficult argument. You can't possibly be. Do you know what I mean? They're making inverted commas objective judgments from a position of power and privilege many, most of the time. So how is that objective? Because it's what all of you are saying about your stories is that you're saying you're not being recognised in it. 
and the value and, and the relevance or the importance of your stories is recognized and you lot are having to adapt to them or become reactionary to the things that they do. I think what you've just described, I have another word for it. Babylon. <laughs> like, you've just, to me, that is Babylon. Like, that's it. Like, that is just quintessential Babylon. That's it. Like, and it's so embedded. And so I think there's kind of two avenues I want to go down briefly because um, I'm conscious of time. But I think, so one, Yusuf, you're studying, like, your research is, a, is on road life which is like amazing that you've you've done like amazing work and I would like to hear a little bit about what that's been like so studying researching that um teaching that um within this here Babylon system um coming from where you come from as well so there's that um but also I think it would be interesting to touch on in as much as like, I can sit here and I can be like, oh yeah, Babylon, oh yeah, burn it down, oh yeah, all of this kind of stuff, yeah. We still very much live in a world where value is placed upon degrees, one, two. Like, there is, from my experiences of studying, as difficult and as strenuous as it's been, that I've learned, isn't it? I have learned. I have learned. I have engaged with new ways of thinking. I have like it has in some ways expanded my mind and so there's positive things that I've gained so I'm not and like my younger brothers sisters nieces nephews I don't know how much I'm gonna like burn it down thing that's what I'm gonna preach to them do you know what I mean because there is like legitimate like ways that this can this can be an avenue of yeah social mobility lots of different things do you know what I mean so I think like touching on those two things I think we should kind of yeah, touch on that. A, what your experience of researching and teaching road life has been. And then if we could kind of like all of us speak a little bit about what we think, we, what we do about that, like what we do about the younger generation coming up that um, are trying to access this space, even though like it's Babylon in it. And yeah, so what, what we do about that? What it's been like, I think that I had a lot of, you know, moments where I've realised or been able to think about things in new, like we say, in new ways at different times. And I've come up with ideas or ways of explaining the world, which in some some days, on some days, have helped me. Overall, I'll say that it has been... That I, was, I met as well with my, my old supervisor, my PhD supervisor. And I think she always knew I was a bit on the edge. Like, I was a bit like... I had one PhD supervisor that was proper down, but she couldn't really... I think she tried really hard, but she couldn't always relate to me exactly. But she just tried to kind of keep the door open for me. And I think that when all else fails, that's the last thing you can do. Is like, if you don't really know what else to do, you just try and keep the door open for someone and hope that they sort of mud, like, fumble their way through it, in it basically, in it. And I think she did that and she did support me in that way. But maybe she wasn't really able to understand or engage with what I was going through doing that kind of work. So number one, that work is quite close to home. And it affects people that I know and I care about a lot, as well as affecting myself and my family and other things. Um, the other thing is, it's kind of a subject that's kind of a part of a marketplace now, like an industry, um, the gang industry or the youth intervention sector, or whatever you call it, in it. 
which is part of a wider youth sector, which is part of a wider charity sector, which is part of whatever, whatever, which kind of is formed around kind of market principles in a lot of ways, which has been a sort of strange experience of ways of alienating yourself from your community and other people that you should in theory have solidarity with but because there's that sense of competition about who's the most authentic and who has the 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 right voice or who's entitled to speak on subjects it can sometimes get a bit tense and I think that that comes along as well with like elements and we've talked about elements of cancel culture and stuff like that where I think but there's things, ways those things like market principles align with kind of new wokeisms and things like that in sort of quite messy ways. Yeah, man. And like, basically, I've just had things going on in my life the whole time. I've been... That should be your next research, by the way. New wokeisms. After the mum pain, you should go. To the... well, you should go to new wokeisms. I don't want. I don't want try. I'm not trying to mean that in like a derogatory way because I know people say woke now as like a bit of a like a joke, innit? Because I'm not, I think genuinely there's a lot of people with at some level good intentions trying to struggle to make improvements or, but I think in a very competitive set of circumstances, sometimes that comes, and I, I maybe I'll, if you want, I can take, I can digress and talk about that, what I think about that. And I basically think like, so I'm right, actually writing a book on Bauman at the moment in it with a couple of guys from my old uni, like I'm writing a book about racism with two white guys, which is interesting. But, but um, I don't know what you're going to say about that. Bauman does say something that I think... Bauman's mad because he doesn't really talk about anyone specific. Like, you know, he's, like, not an empirical don. Like, he's, a, like, a sociological philosopher in a way. But he kind of smacks it sometimes, isn't it? Or he did kind of smack it sometimes. And he said this thing about, like, the cult of the personality and the cult of, like, as, like, class and other group solidarities kind of liquefy in his words like they become kind of less solid and more fluid and solidarities become I suppose more conditional and more like dispersed or fragmented is probably a word as well like the, the postmodernist or late modernist which is we moved from a time where we moved into a time where like the private life and the private sphere have become really significant so like you see like celebrity culture scandal culture things like that and they've I think got not confused because it's not people aren't confused it's because there's these two streams of dominant thinking that are like flowing together as like in a liquid way in a natural way in a way because they're both streams of thinking and consciousness that are present in in the world right now aren't it and I feel like that's happening so you get sometimes this thing where people in in some instances with the right intentions about anti-racism or anti- all kinds of things you know anti-bigotry anti whatever they sort of turn into like personal scandal and other things as well and it's like there's a blurred line between them and celebrity culture social movements kind of become interlinked in weird ways like do you know what I mean like it's not it's like a new world in it it's something very new that I don't think like, a lot of people really have been able to like wrap their heads around. And there's a lot of contradictory, at least divergent information flowing around as well, which means it's a very difficult time for people like to make sense of the world. And there's a lot of things that are true, but also something that sort of seems quite opposite could also be true. Do you know what I mean? That like, the truth value of statements is sort of subjective and contextual. So there's lots of things like the way our kind of moral compasses and systems and things have turned. Like it's a very, it's a, maybe it doesn't. People listening to this probably think this guy is chatting shit, blood. Like what is he talking about? 
but that's what it is is that it's what i'm explaining is that it's become a moment where things have definitely become liquid fire like complicated and fluid and sometimes in some ways that's better but in other ways it makes things very complicated and makes it hard for people to deliver, develop sense, strong sense of solidarity with one another i think is my, my key point and they also there's like this element of competition which is also embedded in that culture which means people would take somebody perhaps that in many instances would be their ally and turn them into a pariah or turn them into a, do you know what I mean? And that's even affected into the university as well because the university is also concerned with their public image in a day where they're competing with other universities to get students and not to get bad press and this, that and the other. That universities are also being kind of pushed and prodded and influenced in different ways by this stuff in it. Perhaps not <laughs> very rarely for the better in it. Like that, the idea of um, decolonizing being like a complete tokenism is one I would say that it's able to able to say and attach the hashtag and the label decolonizing to what they're doing. When actually what they're doing is like a very very weak interpretation of what <laughs> I would say decolonizing is, and they're relying on the fact that people are only really able to harness quite limited information about what the decolonized movement or like quite limited depth of thought because a lot of the thought is coming across through social media which is great but the depth isn't always there you know like to understand those things you have to read and talk and not talk in 24 characters 124 characters you need to really talk and you need to really you know what I mean and again in an individualized world talking and sharing ideas is a dangerous thing to do because people can just take them and pass them off as their own (laughs) <laughs> and your ideas are your capital so there's lots of ways in which the kind of state of society or the state of where we're at you know economically and like i suppose like the kind of underpinning philosophies or ideas dominant ideas in our societies have also kind of when i say things like new wokeisms and i'm talking in the plural because there's not really a strong i think blm have got quite a, a strong narrative but i think they also have a, a narrative that's often co-opted you see what I'm saying? It's like, it becomes almost like a brand as opposed to, because actually if you read like at the heart of BLM movement and the, like the most hardcore activists in the middle, in the centre of it, like trans rights, LGBT plus rights, all of these things that free Palestine are like central in what they're, do, what they're talking about. But then like when Premier League football clubs are doing it and someone asks them, what do you think about the BLM people tweeting free Palestine? They're like, ooh, like... We're not, you know, we're not trying to get political about this. We just think black people should earn the same money as white people. Do you know what I mean? It's like, in what context? Do you mean globally? <laughs> do you mean mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. workplace? Like, what do you mean, innit? I think that we're in a, a strange moment when it comes to that stuff. And that obviously is affecting the kind of work that I do. Innit? Not to say that my work is like, I don't know if I really have an activist identity in my work anymore. Basically, from working in universities, you sort of, even though the job I'm in now is supposed to be like an activist job, so I should say, yeah, 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 I do. But, um, I think that working in universities has eroded that and definitely given me like a lot of reality checks in relation to that store and a lot of stress. Um, mm. Yeah, and I suppose, I don't know, man, I, basically, I feel like because there's not really much understanding, even from school till now, like I remember times in school where like, I remember, I won't give you the full details in it, but like, I remember coming to school once without school uniform. I got sent to the deputy head and they asked me like, why ain't you got a school uniform? And when I told them why, and where I've been and what I've been doing, they, she turned white like a ghost, bro. Do you know what I mean? And actually, after they found out about me, they, 
because I remember that year I was in the foundation group for English like before and the foundation group for English was so bad like the guy we were talking about this as well the other day my brother and the guy used to stand at the front and tell us we're all gonna work at McDonald's and we can't chat shit to him because we ain't got degrees we still chat shit to him but like <laughs> like you know it was like a horrible like it's a very demoralizing environment and um after that they did move me up because they realized that I had other things like a lot going on maybe that they didn't realize that I had going on but um but that's what I'm saying they just ain't got a fucking clue and you actually fucking sit down and tell them to their face which is like a big disclosure and it's like even that can be a traumatic thing for you innit do you know what I mean and I think when I kind of look through my trajectory and like how my research has been close to my life and how my presence in academia has been precarious and kind of contingent and you know I've seen people around me like lose like they really lose their mental health I've seen people around me like um affected by the streets going to prison dying like and I'm not exaggerating I'm just trying, trying to be real in it about how it's affected me in it and like to say it hasn't affected me or to say that it hasn't led to me at times ending up making bad decisions or ending up I think that what I think is that sometimes we do self-destructive things because we're under so much pressure we want it to end and I think like sometimes in the back of your mind you think if I lose my job it might just be a relief if I lose this position or this trajectory I'm on it might just be a relief you know, we do self-destructive things because we're under so much pressure in our personal lives and our professional lives sometimes. I think the level of pressure for academic, I think, is mad because we, we're supposed to almost be like people that live in public life, but without any of the financial incentive for that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're supposed to be like squeaky, like it's like squeaky, squeaky clean without any of the financial incentive and without any contextual reference to how our lives have been lived or how they're being lived, because I'm not out of the, like, I'm not out of the hoods completely. I'm not completely un... Like, I've had conversations with you in the last two weeks about things that have happened that have been hurtful and traumatic to me, innit? Do you know what I mean? And I think as those things happen, as also you get dislocated more and more, like you become in between two spaces, and neither space can really give you what you need. Do you understand? Because... People in the ends, they might, like, love me off, like, they might love me, like, I'm not saying everyone in the ends loves me, no, but I've got people, obviously, that care about me. They can't understand, you know what I mean, what I'm feeling or what I'm going through. And the same thing when I go the other way, they can't get what I'm going through, innit, and how I'm fighting to do, like, things that they think are ordinary. Do you know what I mean? Like, the everyday things. Because it's mad, because sometimes I feel like, as well, you can do the exceptional, the things that wows them, that's really easy. Because your perspective is so different to this, that all you have to like, the mum painting that did really well, I'm not saying that that was outside, but it did really well as an idea. But basically, man, just writing about how life can be fucking shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like how in your everyday life, you're limited and corralled and demoralized by the social and economic surroundings, basically your social context, right? And that social context is true of me. I, I wouldn't have written the mum pain. I wouldn't be able to empathise with the stories that were at the centre of that article if that wasn't, like, a feeling that I was in some way familiar with. What you're saying is making so much sense in that, like, you're almost expected to be a blank canvas whilst writing about things like the mum pain. What makes it as amazing as it is or as fresh as it is or what made it do as well as it did do was because it is your lived experience 
but in the context of the academy, you're expected to be like this blank agent. So like emotionless. So you're not moving mad and you do have the capacity to keep churning out the work and you are able to like stick to the ethics that the academy expects you to stick to. And all of these things, you're fighting to do it. You're fighting to do both, essentially. Yeah, I hear you. I've never thought of it from that perspective, basically. And to be honest, times well, I've just thought, like, after this year, it's finished, like, after this year, the job I got now was such a good opportunity. And I felt like it would have been an opportunity that me, when I started that journey where I had those two aspirations about changing my life and change, maybe not, I don't think it's like enough to actually change my life, but it's an opportunity that maybe there's a platform there to do work that can promote change. And there's, there's some, you know, there's, there's, there's good people in the department and the place that I'm working in, in it that actually, like, I, I believe in those people in it, which I can't say about a lot. It doesn't mean that people I've worked in other places I don't like or I dislike them, I've got any personal problem with them, but I can't say I believe in. The, the ethos of the space as much as the little ethos of the little space I occupy in the department that I'm kind of in now so far otherwise I think I was close last year to walking away from it then to be honest because the amount of stress and the amount of like just little things like the ruthless self-promotion you have to do off of the back of people's fucking like you know riding on crests of waves that are made up of people's tears do you know what I mean it's like but it's also it's our tears yeah. that's the thing so you're saying people's tears it's our tears it's like i i in the past five years and this is me being very open here my mental health has been in the gutter like i've had two quite serious suicide attempts i've had like years of like severe mental breakdown actually I've reached and and I think that um engaging with the academy was definitely part of the catalyst for my mental health getting so bad but also like you said it's like it's also the thing that is like why they rate me like I got published in a fucking book (laughs) um alongside all these black female academics and don't get it twisted like the woman that um whose book it is i have so much respect for in the process of writing that chapter fam that where my mind was where my mind has been like and no one's engaging with that within academia the reason why i can write about or speak about or theorize around what i write about what i research and what i do is because it's my lived experience it's me and it's violent man it's violent to expect me to engage with it um, whilst you lot like whilst them lot do a disservice to it and whilst they like it feels almost anthropological like I'm a case study or I'm like it's mad it's been a mad experience it's been a very 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 mad experience they're not having to confront the violence of their whiteness and the middle classness and what it does outwardly you see what I'm saying because we Mm -hmm. have to confront reflexively who we are and the violence we project and also are the victims of and are I use the word in the throes of now because in the throes of is kind of like you're kind of riding it but it's also kind of taking you do you know what I mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they don't ever confront that they don't ever they, but that's my point my point is they don't have to because Babylon's dead do you <laughs> know what I mean so it's like well and so they so like onto like the last thing that I thought I thought would be good to discuss is for the younger lot 
which is a this is such a I don't have an answer so I'm going to put it out to you guys but for the younger lot coming up in education or seeking to engage with the academy what what's our stance what's our advice um yeah because I don't have I don't have an answer for that because for me I don't know that I don't know if you ask me today I'm like fuck Babylon like go and become a YouTuber. <laughs> That's my advice um, today. If you ask me, like, but then if my, like, niece or, like, whoever grows up in is, like, or, like, the people that I know that are at this, so someone that I know that's um, a close friend's little sister just got into Cambridge and there was joy in my heart. Like, what, what, do, what do you not think? My answer is really short, to be honest. I think my fear-based response to that is do it, just do it, do what you have to do to survive. But that definitely comes from me looking at myself at 16, 17, 18 years old. And I did what I had to do to survive. I got the degree, I got the A-levels, I then went on to do the masters and I thought I was doing everything I had to do to survive. And essentially I have done what I've needed to do to survive because I can, I am eligible to operate within this system if need be. Um, I'm qualified enough to do the things that Babylon wants me to do. Um, and so my fear-based response is just do it, just get it done, just in case. Um, my younger sisters who are 17 and 18 are struggling in similar ways to me, but don't have, they, they don't have the attitude that I had basically their attitude isn't, I'll oh, just get get down and do it. Their attitude is, nah, like, fuck this. Um, and that that um, evokes a lot of fear in me, I'll be honest. Um, but, yeah. So you mean, like, get it done and get the degrees and just... Yeah, go to uni, get your degree, engage with it, engage with Babylon, do what you need to do within Babylon to survive. Um, and their attitude is very, nah, like no I'm not on that but you're saying that in a way like within it you're not saying engage with it in a way to change it you're saying engage with it in a way to just be complicit with it for a peaceful life if that's what you need to do to survive then yeah that's not been survival for me though so so in as much as that I would I would love to give that I would love to give the advice and actually it's a sticky one for me because um I don't know but for me, is actually it's been the opposite. It's been it's been soul destroying. It's been it's in fact pushed me further away from what survival is. I was surviving and thriving outside of engaging with it. Have created opportunities for myself, and I'm fortunate enough to. And I know that my story isn't everybody's story, so I'm not gonna like sit here and say, "Oh yeah, everybody." But yeah, have been fortunate enough to create a life for myself, career-wise outside of it so I hear you but I'm also like is that advice is it true yeah that's why I definitely caveated it with fear my fear based attitude or response is just engage with it because what is on the other side if you don't engage with it and not in the now but in the later if you haven't engaged with it if you don't have these qualifications if you do you know what I mean if you haven't had a job all of these things that kind of Babylon expects of you what is on the other side when you don't engage with it I 
at 16, 17, 18, 23, 24, was just getting down and trying to survive. Now I'm at a place with the qualifications and whatever, and I endeavor to make changes and I endeavor to help people. That's the point I'm at now. But if, yeah, if you can't do that, then I hear it as well. Um, I was thinking about what I would say to the... I, th- I did say earlier what I would say to someone when they come to me saying they want to do a PhD. I don't discourage them, but I ask them what they want from it and whether academia can give them what they want. Whether they're realistic about what the demands of academia are going to be on them. Because oftentimes people aren't. Do you know what I mean? They're not realistic about what it really is on every day to be there. Do you know what I mean? I can't, I'm sort of with Ez a little bit. That I feel like I got all these degrees and it's been good in lots of ways. And I'm, I'm not... The thing is, it sounds like I don't appreciate it, in it. I don't appreciate the opportunities and the, the things that I've been given and, and stuff like that. But I think at the same time, it also has been like a dislocating experience and there's not recognition of what the violence of dislocation is in it. Do you understand? Like, because you're still affected by things in one space but don't belong to it and then you're affected by things in another space and you don't belong to it. So like if we're talking about a career in academia rather than just a degree, like yeah, you got a degree in it. The degree can help you. You going to uni can be fun. Do you know what I mean? And like there's lots of reasons why going to uni and getting a degree is, is it could be a really good decision for some people you know but a career in academia for someone that's different <sighs> I don't know man like I think you have to be in a place where you've got the right kind of networks and the right kind of moment in your life for it to be like to minimize the harm that it can do to you basically is what I'm saying to minimize the violence or minimize the um and I think maybe me I went in a bit too young and I was a bit naive and I was exposed to young to too many contradictory things and ideas and situations and circumstances that has led to me making mistakes personally and also me being exposed to that hardships and difficulties maybe yeah in different ways at different moments um that perhaps if I'd come in later and I was a bit more settled in my life it might have been a bit different so I'm not saying no, like I wouldn't tell people not to and there is inherent value in knowing and understanding. I do believe empowerment like can come through that. But I also think like when we talk about what actually gives people security and from that security gives them a degree of like it's a different kind of empowerment, right? And I think that but that's the one that's more important to people. Like being broke but what like what broke but woke. Um, might not be the kind of empowerment that a lot of young younger people right now are aspiring to, you know? And if I'm thinking about that question about what is it that you want, and if it's being broken work, then yeah, go for it. And if you're just happy when you've got a book in your hand and you ain't worried about nothing else in your circumstances situation, then maybe, yeah. But if there are those other factors and if you are trying to make material change for yourself or your family or for academia ain't, always the right one to do that but it also depends on where you are in the country and other things as well like in london academic salaries ain't scratch man do you know what i mean they ain't gonna you ain't gonna be able to change your life like that so yeah man i don't know if that's that hopeful but i'll, I'll try to be transparent in it like without like snitching on myself or like over exposing or over like disclosing things 
I try to be like real that I think I don't know I don't know what it's like to work in other professions and I've heard stories from friends that do work in other professions of like a lot of like microaggressions and not good practices relating to like difference happening in those places as well but just because academia is a place where people study those things doesn't mean that people behave any better and it doesn't mean that you're not going to get burnt out and exhausted there I think that really to be successful in academia you gotta be a proper fighter like you got a proper light on it do you know what I mean that's what I think is that helpful concluding yeah I think that's helpful I've, I've come up with actually what I would say yeah. I'm good. it's a bit of a cop out though <laughs> I would engage with the individual I don't think I have a blanket bit of advice for the YGs it would really depend I think that there are some young people that actually I think uh, formal education would be a really positive path and really empowering and then there are some young people that I just think it wouldn't um, and could actually be quite the opposite and quite damaging so I'd engage with them. But I think that that question of like, what do you want to get out of it in relation to like, so not just studying the degree, but like working within academia, I think that's a really important question. One that I'm asking myself, actually, as so as you're saying, it's like, mm, are you going to feel, in my head, it's like, I need to get a PhD just to fuck it up because it fucks me up. <laughs> so for me, it's like this like here institution has fucked me up. So it's fine, I'm going to get the degree, going to get some PhD funding somehow and I'm going to fuck it up and then I'm going to have conquered it. You've asked me a really important question that I'm going to go and sit with and ponder on. I think that's a good, that's a good place to round it up. Thank you so much, Yusuf. I really love hearing you speak, always. I know actually you're off social at the moment, so tell us where we can read your work and engage with you. That article I wrote, the one paying ones out there. But other than that, to be honest, I'm not engaging right now. That's part of the reason I did this conversation, actually, because I felt like, not to explain why I'm not engaging, but to just put it, to explain to people that it's okay to not engage because actually that everyday engagement as well. I said this today to someone at work as well, because like, they're trying to play, want us to do like announcements that we're there and shit like that and I'm like fam when you write about race and racism you just put a big target on your back do you know how many trolls you get under your comments and all mad shit and people just chatting shit to you and it's like blood can't be bothered fam do you know what I mean so that's one of the reasons I'm not on the socials right now just for a bit of peace and quiet <laughs> but yeah the mum pain but um I've got other stuff that I'm working on that will come out at some point yeah but, we can um continue to update the description with links to what you're doing as and when, Yusuf. So yeah, just keep us in the loop. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing with us. And thank you for being so open and transparent, telling the truth. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks guys. Just ripping my mood. Oh, two just cut off my line.